0: chapter six. I'm going to pick up with something I talked a little bit about on Sunday, and um, and we'll we'll dig into that. Thanks, Greg. So we're going to talk about the immutability of God, and I'll explain a little bit about what that's about. But there are three things that you really have to understand for your faith. Three things that have to we have to kind of work on in our lives. One is our is our understanding of God. All right, our understanding of God. The second is our understanding of man, okay? Redeemed man, I should say. And then understanding. Sinful man. So, and why these are important and why we're kind of like going back and forth on these Wednesday nights, like Sharon talked last week about faith and righteousness. So righteousness is extremely important in understanding who we are as redeemed people because without that understanding, we could think that we have no rights with God. We have no right to go to God. We have no right to talk to God. Um, righteousness gives us that understanding of who the, another one is about the new creation realities, that we are a new creation in Christ. All of these are things that we need to understand about being redeemed people, and which is different than non-redeemed or sinful man. The sinful man is under the subject is subject to the the um, the effects of sin. And so when you talk about the effects of sin, you talk about all the things that came into the earth because man chose to rebel against God. So when you talk about that, you, you look at things like uh, sickness and disease that came in, poverty, um, all, of the, all the mental things that man has dealt with. All of these things, in one way or another, are rooted into <laughs> sinful, the sinful man. And so to understand, to truly build your faith, which all these things are things that we just have to understand for to be able to have faith, is that we have, to, we have to realize that, one, God isn't giving sickness and disease to people. It came because of man's choices, okay? So when we talk about sinful man, and we understand about sinful man, man is the one that makes the choices that brings the things into the earth that are here, the poverty, all those uh, two uh, it's, it, it, the redeemed man is a man that has been set free through the blood of Christ from the effects of all those things and the, because he's been set free from the cause. So, uh, you know, this is uh, the sinful, like I said, I know I'm all over the place here with this, but sinful man, there is an effect, there is a cause and effect, okay? Cause and effect is man sinned, it brought about an effect that took place redeem man same thing there is a cause and there is an effect all right through the blood of christ we're redeemed from we're redeemed from sin we're now not separated from god so because of that the cause now there is an effect that takes place for our lives we can have the holy spirit in our lives we can we can experience the fruit of the spirit in our lives we can live sin-free lives. We can experience the holiness of God in our lives. We can experience the presence of God in our lives in a greater magnitude because we are redeemed. We're redeemed people. All of that has to do with faith, to understand about faith. Hebrews tells us in 11.1 that now faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. That That faith is what God has given to us to show us who we are and what we have. Okay, faith is the substance of things hoped for. It shows us who we are, what we have. It is the evidence, the proof that we have of things that we do not see in our lives. And so we really um, when we're and as we're studying through this and going through the different aspects of this, um, we're going to do this up till close to Christmas, that we're going to deal with understanding who God is, what God has and what God will do, which will always affect who we are, what we have, and what we can do, and will give us a greater clarity of how we got so far away from who we are, what we were created to do, and what we were created to be. And, you know, the, the tough thing is, is that when man doesn't understand what's going on, he blames God. When man does not understand what's happening, he blames God. I mean, it's just the way that it is. It's, if something's going on that we can't explain, God is the one that gets the blame. And so it just all heads that direction. And, and the reason being is, one, it absolves us of responsibility that we might play some part in what's happening, which is totally contradictory to Scripture. And it also, uh, for us, it somehow gives us some type of an idea that God is making decisions, at the spur of the moment, or he has no guidelines that he follows in and of himself, that, you know, he might be like, well, I really like Reynolds, but I really don't like Thigpins, so I'll bless Reynolds, but I'm not blessing Thigpins. So there's a lot of people, that's their view of who God is, and that's a lie, that's a flat-out lie that the enemy has used against the church for years, is to bring that kind of perception that almost like God is, um, is, is, uh, is, is partisan, that he only loves certain people, he only cares about certain people, he only helps certain people, that look, Jesus came for all men, that, that all might be saved. I mean, all those ideas are within that. And so when we talk about how that God gets blamed for all of these things, it really shows our lack of understanding of who God is and his character, who God is in his character and how he works. Immutability, The reason I lay all that out is because that's where we come up to the idea of immutability. Okay, immutability. Is, it, when we use the word immutable, it, it's two words that in the um, in the Greek language. It's one is it's mutability, mutabilis, which is the Greek word for change. Okay. M, I am. That's added the, the pre- prefix to mutabilis in the Greek, means not change. So it means a negative. God does not change, okay? So immutability means God does not change. So this becomes so important for us in our understanding, especially with faith, because we have to have a view of God from the biblical point of view that he isn't changing his mind tomorrow. Okay, so if Jesus bore our sicknesses and carried away our diseases, does that work today, yesterday, and tomorrow? Because if it doesn't, then it always leaves a question, doesn't it? Because we're always wondering. And so you have like church services where people will come up for prayer, not at this church, but church services where they'll come up and say, Lord, if it is your will to heal, okay, to heal Connie or whoever, then let it be so. And they'll anoint with oil and pray the prayer, you know, pray. I, don't, I wouldn't consider that a prayer of faith, but they would pray a prayer over that individual. And I'm not ridiculing that if it sounds like I'm not, that's not what I mean to do. The point is, is that either he does or he doesn't. Okay. Either he does or he doesn't. And really how man, how church, how the church has got to that position is all the people that haven't gotten healed. So what we do is, is that we just say, well, if you didn't get healed, then it must not be God's will. And we have some people that teach that, 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 you know, that are still going around today that are saying, you know, I have this problem. It's God's will. Well, God, either God is the same or he's not the same. He's not one way today. And because if, if that happens, it unravels everything, all right? You're fickle. God is not. You're not the same every day. I I, we don't feel we we you know we we deal with our emotions. We deal with our physical being. How we feel that day. You know, some days we get up and we don't feel so great. Some days we get up and (laughs) we feel like we could take the take the world on. Right, and uh, all of us feel that way. But go through those moments. But God doesn't wake up one day and go man, this is a lousy day, I think I'll be a bad God. And then tomorrow say, man, this is a great day, I think I'll be a, a good God. You know, we have to, we have to work through this idea and, I, and, I, and probably all of us in the room here tonight would say, well, I believe that already about God. I don't believe he, he changes the way that he is. But I want you to tie this into the thinking of how this works with your faith because this becomes, and, and, and this is what, is talked about in Hebrews, it becomes an anchor for us. That God does not, because this becomes the, you know, this becomes an anchor for our lives. This is a security for us to know that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and that what he said, he didn't change his mind about later on, even though circumstances don't always line up with what God's intention was over a situation. And, 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 and that can cause problems for us in our faith because we go, well, he's God, so he can do whatever he wants. Not if he has subjected himself to rules and guidelines to say, you get to make the decision. You know, God said like this in the Old Testament, I lay before you life and death, blessing and cursing. And he finished it with choose life that you could live. It seems pretty simple, right? But If man chooses not to do what God says to do, is that God's fault? I had a guy that uh, it was actually at the the harvest party who came up to me and he said, well, I don't believe in God. And I said, really? And he goes, yeah. I says, why don't you? And he says, because how can a good God do bad things? And I says, why do you think God does bad things? He says, well, look at all the things that are going on in the world. There's lots of bad things that are going on in the world. There's poverty. There's people dying from cancer. There's people that got COVID and died. And how could a good God do that? Maybe you've asked that question too. Maybe you've thought that. And I mean, he was just like adamant. Like I, I. he says, I'm not saying he really wasn't an atheist. He's more atheist. He's more agnostic because agnostics say, I know there's something, but I don't really understand it. Okay. So, I mean, and, and I just, you know, years ago, I would have just been like, well, you're going to hell. That's all there is to it, all right? But I've learned, <laughs> I mean, and, and maybe some of you would have thought that too, but, and maybe even said it, but I realized that he's struggling with something. So I asked him the question. I said, all right, so do you, out here um, uh, on uh, Wisner Road, you're here at my house, I said, you know, there are cars that are going up and down the road. Now, if I tell you to not go out in the road uh, and stand in the middle of the road, And you choose to go stand in the middle of the road, even though I'm already telling you that I want to protect you and keep you from trouble. But you choose to go out in the middle of the road and you get hit by a vehicle. Did I kill you or did you kill you? And he goes, well, he said, "Uh, well, I don't. He said, yeah, I see what you're saying. I said, what am I saying? He's saying that we make choices. Well, we do make choices. Now, I'm not saying every choice is, is with that. We live in a wicked world that is not redeemed. And it takes faith to overcome. And we'll talk a little bit more about this later on. But but there are things that we have to recognize. There are, there are what we will call limitations that God says, if you will follow those limitations or what laws are limitations, right? So if you will follow these limitations, it will keep you alive. It'll help you. It'll do the right thing. If you don't follow these limitations and you do whatever you want to do, which, you know, in the end of Judges tells us that everybody was doing what was right in their own sight. So there were no limitations. Everybody was doing basically whatever they wanted to do. You know, so even though we know God said that, we're going to do this because, and the bottom line was, because this is how we feel. This is how we feel we should do. We feel like this is the best way, which is nothing different than what Adam, what Satan tempted Adam and Eve with. Remember that Adam and Eve were given rules. They knew what good and evil was. Good is do what God says to do. Evil is to not do what God says to do. They just never experienced both sides of it. So when they made the choice, when the serpent said to them, Hey, look, you can eat from that tree. You won't die from it. You'll be like God. So what did they do? They wanted to take the role of God in their own life. God had told them, this will protect you. This will help you. This will keep you from trouble. And so they decided, though, no, we're going to do what we want to do. And as soon as they decided to do that, corruptness entered into the system. That's how corruptness enters in. When we violate, and we live in a world that violates the limitations of God. God says, do it this way. We choose to do it a a certain way. And when we choose to do it a certain way, those violations in our life have repercussions or what we just talked about, cause and effect. They create cause and effect. Is everybody everybody with me on this? Okay, so Hebrews 6.18. Let's go back to that. New King James Version. And it says there that by two immutable things, unchangeable, these are unchangeable, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope that is set before us. All right. So what are the two immutable, the unchangeable things? One, if God said it, that is his will or his plan. Okay? Two, Number two, God cannot change. So when he said it, he meant it forever. Now, there are areas of our lives we believe this in. Everybody here probably does, okay? We use salvation as an example. So when we talk about you coming to Christ, if I told you, now look, we're going to have an altar call. You're not a Christian, but I want you to come up to the altar and we're going to pray and we're going to ask God to save you. But we don't know if he will or not. Most of us would be like, look, either he will or he won't. I mean, what did Jesus come for? So, see, in the idea of salvation, we would never leave that in our head that, well, I might not be saved. I I came to the altar, but I might not really be saved. I may not have really, I don't know, did I really get Jesus in my life? Did I really get saved? Did I really get born again? Well, If you called on the name of the Lord, then you did get saved because you believed, you asked Christ to come into your life, repent of your sin, turn to Christ. At that moment, we become born again believers. That's the only pathway in through Jesus Christ and through his sacrifice. So we very rarely, now we do hear sometimes, and especially in uh, some environments where they'll say, well, you need to pray until you feel saved. Well, you could pray a long time before you ever feel saved. Uh, Or feel sanctified, all right? See, the things that God has for us, they're by faith, not by feeling. Big difference. So if I'm going to pray until I feel something, then I'm probably going to be praying a long time, and I'm really going to be subject to all kinds of confusion because I'm looking for a feeling to fit what I want my faith to be. God can move in feelings. He's not against feelings. But he doesn't use feelings as evidence of who he is and what his word says. He is who he says he is, regardless of your feelings that you're having. So if you came up here tonight and said, well, pastor, I believe God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that I could, you know, whoever calls on him would be saved. And so I'm going to call on the name of the Lord and I'm going to ask Jesus to come into my life. And if I turned right around to you and said, well, let's just see if it's God's will. What are you basing the fact that you could be saved on? The immutability of the word, that the word is what it says. And it is that way all the time, 100%. It doesn't change. So we believe as a church and we believe as God's people that as soon as if you pray that prayer and you ask Christ in your life, you're, you're born again, regardless of your, uh, how you feel. That is the immutability of God's Will. Remember, we talk about how that faith begins where the will of God is known. So when we know what God has said, then we also now can have faith because we have unlocked the idea that God has established without knowing that. So if God is silent on something, then we don't know his will, and that's where we pray. That's where we, and then we also pray when we don't feel like doing God's will. Right? And we don't always feel like doing God's will. I mean, we know that the Bible says forgive, but sometimes we feel like there should be a verse that's punch him in the nose, right? Because we just don't feel, or let it go. Or I mean, I think of all the times that I had to surrender to God's will in my life because I the times I didn't want to do it. I remember some arguments that Sharon and I had, oh my goodness, you know. And it just seemed like, you know, after a long day, we go to bed, we're laying in bed, and it starts. We start about, I mean, maybe I said something, maybe she said something, and somehow it got confused from her pillow to my pillow. And, um, and uh, am I the only one that this has ever happened to? Yeah, so, and then we start fussing, and then I'm, I'm, I'm upset, she's upset. We're now we're not saying mean things to each other, but you know we're we're being critical of the situation, Um, and then it escalates, and one of us is crying, and it's not me, and and then it gets (laughs) Not not that time, but and then you know then you do the cheek to cheek sleeping where you're back to back and you're not looking at each other and you're not you know and you've seen how far to the edge of the are you all here? I, I feel like I'm just confessing my deal. So, and you're going as far to the edges as you can, right? We used to have, we were talking about this the other night, we used to have a waterbed. And like when you got really mad and jumped out of the waterbed, a wave would hit the other person and throw them out of the bed. So, But uh, until Sharon broke the waterbed one night. But the, 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 the idea was we'd get upset and then we're back to back. And I, would, and I would lay there in bed, and after, you know, you've calmed down a little bit, the Holy Spirit, I couldn't go to sleep. The Holy Spirit's talking to me. And, say, and, and, and you know how the Holy Spirit talks to you? He talks to you about the scriptures that you know, or maybe you don't know. And he says, I hear words like, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church. And I'm thinking, well, it says wives, submit to your husbands, even as unto the Lord. And she's not submitting, so why should... Now, I don't know how you talk to God, but, you know, I've argued Scripture with God before. You said this, and he said, yeah, that's what I said, but this is also what I said. And so, so anyways, he, and then he says, then he hits me with, you know, that um, there's a passage in the, uh, I think it's in uh, Peter or James, or, but he says that if you don't treat, live with your wife with respect, that God won't answer you. He says, I won't answer your prayers. He says, you got anything you're believing for? Forget it! <laughs> I'm like... Okay, I get get the point, but see that you're only wrestling with God based off of what you already know His will is, right? That's what Jesus wrestled with the Father in the Garden about. He was wrestling over the plan. He he knew what was coming. He knew what the Father wanted. It wasn't like he was saying, "Father, I don't know what your plan is. Show me what your plan is." There are times we do pray that way. We don't know what God's plan is. But, you know, maybe there's things that we just don't have scripture to back up what we think needs to happen. But he knew what the plan was. He just was struggling with what it was going to take and was asking for help to help him do the right thing. So I would be laying in bed and I would say, I'd roll over to Sharon and I'd say, Honey, I'm sorry I raised my voice and I yelled at you and I said those things to you. And I says, I, I ask you to forgive me and uh, I, I'll work on it and try to do better. And she'd go, okay. And then I knew she was still mad at me, so I'd just go to sleep, because I did my part. The rest is on her, right? <laughs> in Hebrews six nineteen, it says in the, uh, the uh, Passion Translation, we have certain hope, like a strong, unbreakable anchor holding our souls to God himself. Our anchor of hope is fastened to the mercy seat, which sits in the heavenly realm beyond the sacred threshold. And I think we have that up there, yeah. So we have a certain hope, like a strong, unbreakable anchor holding our souls to God himself. Remember, faith is the substance of things hoped for. So when we talk about this idea of that we have a strong, unbreakable anchor of, our, of, of, the, of hope in our lives, that's what holds our soul together as we're standing in faith. That's what keeps us together that we know God doesn't. If you can't reconcile this in your life that God doesn't lie and God doesn't change, you, you will struggle in having faith. You'll struggle with having faith. I mean, it's just, it will always be a thing that just keeps creeping back up and trying to work against you that somehow that, um, that God's not going to do what he said he would do. So we have certain hope like a strong, unbreakable anchor holding our souls to God Himself. Our anchor is of hope is fastened to the mercy seat, which sits in the heavenly realm beyond the sacred threshold. Um, in the Message Bible, it says it like this. It is an unbreakable spiritual lifeline reaching past all appearances right to the very presence of God. I like that. So that idea is, is that, look, this immutability is extremely important for the believer. Um, It's something that, you know, we tend to learn about faith before we learn about immutability in most environments we learn about, and that's where we struggle is because, you know, we've been just, you know, like most of us have learned about salvation and that God always saves if you ask him. But then we've been taught about healing, that God sometimes answers that if, You know he may or may not. um, That other time, you know we've been taught about finances. That you know that some people, you know, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. God's plan of prosperity. So all those kinds of things they work against that immutability. And if we don't have this straightened out in our life, then we really don't understand who God is. God cannot lie. It, It it is impossible for God to lie. If God because he has tied himself to his immutability, meaning to God, the Father, this is, this is paramount. This is like at the top of the list, that if, if, if what God is saying is, look, if I lied, if I, did, if I said something and then didn't do something that I said I would do, I would cease to be because I, I have invested everything in what I say. God doesn't say what he doesn't mean. Now, this always brings up the question for all of us, me included, then why don't we always see what God has said coming to pass? The most powerful thing that a man possesses in his life is his will, his choice, his, cho- his, his authority to choose, which comes from God the Father, the authority to choose. So, You and I, we don't understand everybody's choices they're making. It's not our place to understand everybody's choices. People have asked me, they said, well, you know, you prayed for this person. They got miraculously touched and healed and delivered. And now you prayed for this person and they died. Why did one, why did God do it for one and not for the other? Well, here's the thing you got to work out. God wanted to do it for both of them. And I don't have an answer for why it didn't happen for the other person. Well, I need a better answer than that. There isn't a better answer. We're not going to know. One, for God to show you, okay, now stay with me, for God to tell you why someone didn't get healed and why someone did would be him violating his own principle of their free choice. Because it's none of your business. Your business is your faith. Your business is how you view God. Asking God to show you why somebody, I've done it. I've done it tons of times, you know, and I'm, any of you that have prayed for people have probably done it. And, you know, the struggle that we go through, like, well, man, you know, the first guy I prayed for that ever had that had cancer, he died. I mean, he died that afternoon. He was talking to us. He was, you know, I was—I came, came home and said, Sharon, I just got a call. The guy died on the way home. And I, we were just talking, but the cancers were, He had throat cancer and it killed him right there on the spot. I I thought he was going to, I thought he was having a marriage. He said God was touching him and try to explain it. I can't explain it. And I learned with God by asking him that he does not disclose that information because that is between God and that individual. You can spend all your life questioning those kinds of things. But what the danger is, is that you're allowing what someone else experienced to become how you're trying to figure out who God is. That's a bad place to be in. Because you figure out who God is by his word, and you figure out who God is by the fact that he doesn't change, not by what Kathy has gone through. Because if you're going to use that as your example and try to figure out, well, I'm basing what I, you know... Kathy went through this, so I should. It's like me, okay, so let's do it like this. Well, Kathy got her prayer answered, so I should get my prayer answered. Uh Uh-uh. That is totally wrong. That's not faith. But God answered Kathy's prayer, and and we do this sometimes. We'll say, you know, well, if he did it for them, he'll do it for me. It doesn't have anything to do with the fact that he did it for them for him to do it for you. He provided it for you and told you in his word he gave it to you, and he doesn't lie, and that's why it will happen for you. Because if you base it off of he did it for Kathy, then there's some other Kathy that it didn't happen for. And now are we going to say, well, he won't. If I came up to you and said, well, he ain't going to do it for you because he didn't do it for Kathy. You'd be like, what? that's not true, pastor. No. See, that's why you don't base on what Kathy's having in her life. You base it off of your relationship in the word of God and the immutability of God. That's why it says it's an unbreakable spiritual lifeline. This is the lifeline that we hold on to. You know, Sharon and I, when we battle through things, we we say to each other, here's what we know. This is what God said. And two, God doesn't lie. This is what he said. Now, we don't know. When it come, this is where it gets tricky because when it comes to dealing with other people's wills, it can become very complicated. Like I had a guy that, um, that I was dealing with and his wife decided to leave him. And he was heartbroken. I mean, he was, flat. I mean, he was just devastated. And they'd had problems in their marriage for a long time. And he said, well, I'm believing God she's going to come back and that she's going to take me back. And I says, well, I'll, I'll believe with you for that. But I want you to remember that you don't, that's witchcraft. You can't control what someone else is doing. Okay, you don't control what people do. Because, I mean, where does that end? You're not doing what I want. So I control my wife by Praying the way I want her to be and telling her that this is the way she's going to be. That, that's control and manipulation. That is, not, that is not real prayer. That doesn't come from the heart. That comes from external sources making those changes. So I said, listen, man, I'm, I'm, I'm agreeing with you. I'm going to pray with you. Here's some verses we can stand on. Let's pray over these. But I says, when it's all done and told, I says, I want you to remember that, look, this is between her and God. And she'll have to make that decision in in and of herself. Well, he 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 kind of agreed with me, but he didn't really agree with me. I could tell because he was still like this was what he was using that as his hope that you know this is what the word says and she's going to come back and all these things. And I've seen people do this with their kids too. We've done it with our kids, and I mean said all kinds of you know just made I mean biblical things that we have declared over our children, and they're making decisions going totally contrary to the direction that we're declaring from the word over their lives. And so I told him, and then it came down to the day that they, she actually divorced him. And he came, he and I met at the mall. I sat down with him. He just cried and cried, and he was just heartbroken. And he says, but you know, Pastor, I've realized what you said was right. We don't control people. And we can't control what other people do. And she's, obviously, I did enough damage in our marriage relationship, and we hurt each other enough. That she just didn't see this ever turning around and becoming better. She couldn't couldn't see that happening. And I said, I said, I'm really sorry that this has happened in your life. And 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 uh, you know, but it doesn't change who God is, and it doesn't change what God has said. When we pray for people, we always have to remember that they have a choice in the midst of that that they're making. So when it starts involving other people, now can we pray that? circumstances would be favorable to help them make the right choices? Absolutely. Can we pray that angels are coming across their path and working And Absolutely, we can pray that way. But still, when it comes down to it, they are the one that has to make the choice. We don't get to make the choice for anybody. That's not what faith is. But for you, so let's set all that aside now. For you, believing and standing and believing what the word says your faith is directly implicated by what you believe about god's immutability it's your lifeline it's your lifeline you know um one of the passages that i think you can stand on when things aren't going the way that you were believing for them is out of romans chapter 8 that god makes all things work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose now, I don't use that as a blanket thing to just say that explains everything, but but here's what I know. One, I'm called according to his purpose, and so are you. And two, God's going to make something out of this, something good's coming out of this, because he says he makes all things work together for good. So good's going to come out of it. I don't know what the good is. That's really not up to me, but God is working in that situation, and I'm just going to rest in the fact that God is working through that situation. Does everybody understand what I'm talking about tonight? I don't, you know, I know I'm throwing a lot of ideas out here. Some of them may be a little bit different things you've heard before. Amplified version says this in Hebrews 6, 19. Now we have this hope as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. It cannot slip and it cannot break down under whoever steps out upon it. A hope that reaches farther and enters into the very certainty of the presence within the veil. Man, that is so powerful. So see, because of that, we, we understand that. Look, God isn't, I'm glad today when I got up, God hadn't changed. And when I read in his word about who he is, that never changes. That God wants me well. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name, according to Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, who forgives all my iniquities. Thank God they're all forgiven and who heals all my diseases. Yeah. Hallelujah. He's the same yesterday, today and forever. That doesn't change. That was true then, it's true tomorrow, yesterday, it's going to be true tomorrow. It's going to be true when I get up in 10 years, it's going to be true when I get up in 30 years. That is still going to be true over my life. My God shall supply all of my need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now, I don't get to set the timetable when he meets those needs, but he said he would meet all those needs. All those needs. You know, Sharon and I, in our lives, we're, we're very blessed. We're very blessed with what God has given us, very blessed with what we have in our lives. We actually are living a life that's better than we really thought we might live 30 years ago. We're living a better life. We didn't realize that. When you get older, you actually can have some money and be able to do some stuff. You know, when you have kids at home, you think you're never going to have any money and you're never going to be able to do anything, right? But God has blessed us with that. What God, if, if, if we would have taken it the right way, we would have understood in God's immutability that, look, the blessings, the, the financial blessings, the increase is on the way. So just be thankful and enjoy the life that you have right now. It's coming. It's all on its way. God's going to take care of you. You know He's going to make provision for your life. But when, 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 when we're in those kinds of situations, it's tough for us to think about that immutability of God, that he already said in his word what he wants to do, and he never would lie to us about what he said he would do. This isn't in the video, but uh, in our slides, but the Moffat translation says it like this. Verse 13, for when God made a promise to Abraham, he swore by himself, since he could swear by none greater, saying, Richly will I bless thee, richly will I multiply you. And so he obtained the promise after enduring patiently, for men swear by the greater one, and in every dispute of theirs, the oath is final and settles it. Wherefore, as God meant to demonstrate to the heirs of the promise more and more, the immutability of his counsel, he intervened with an oath. Now, I love that. Do you remember, maybe you don't, I'm sure you don't do this anymore, but when we were kids, we would say like, somebody would say, no, I I promise, and you'd say, swear, right? I want you to swear you will do it. I want you to, what is it, pinky swear or whatever. You know, I want you to swear to God that you will do it. That was like, my, my siblings would all go, oh, I'm telling mom, you said, swear to God. But, but, you know, it was like, what you said is good, but I want you to take it to the next level. Everybody with me right now? I want you to swear. I want you to swear. I want you to swear to, 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 to God that you are going to do exactly what you said you would do. You won't bail on me. You won't You'll accomplish what you said you would do. Now, look, that's exactly what God did. God said, okay, now I said this, but I'm gonna take it to a level, I'm gonna take it to a new level. And the new level is I'm gonna swear by myself that I'm gonna do what I said I would do. How does that affect our faith? Well, it affects it incredibly because that really removes all the doubts out of the way that somehow maybe God might change his mind. He's not gonna change his mind. He already said it, he's gonna do what he said he would do. He said he intervened, verse 18, with an oath that so by two immutable things in which it's impossible for God to lie, who have fled for refuge may have strong encouragement to hold to the hope that is set before us, which we possess as an anchor of the soul, both sure and firm, that enters also into what is within the veil, where Jesus entered as a pioneer for us when he became forever a high priest after the order of Melchizedek." In Ezra chapter 9 in verse 8, you can write this one down, we've got it up there on the screen, um, is a great verse and, and it really is sort of an Old Testament version of this. And it says, and now for a little while, grace has been shown from the Lord our God to leave us a remnant to escape and to give us a peg or in one translation it says a nail in the holy place that our God may enlighten our eyes and give us a measure of revival in our bondage. So the idea is is that, look, what you believe is not just tied to the Bible. What you believe is tied to the seat where God sits. What you believe is not just tied to a bunch of words in a book. What you believe is tied to a God who sits on the throne and swears by himself that he is who he says he is, does what he says he'll do, and has what he says he has. And that that becomes so powerful in helping us understand the principle of faith. Without this, faith can become schizophrenic. It can waver. That's what the Bible talks about. It's it's like the wave of the sea, tossed to and fro, where circumstances moving that way, and then it's moving that way. It looks favorable today, but not so favorable tomorrow. And so we get moved by that. But when our faith is anchored in the holy place where God is, His presence, we're, we're anchored not just to words were anchored to the person of God who has obligated himself, committed himself that this is who I am, this is what I'll do, this is what I'm going to accomplish in your life. You know, it's important what you and I are anchored to. It is vitally important what we are anchored to in our lives. Are we anchored to the, you know, I, like many of you here, I have pain in my life but I don't want to be anchored to the past pain of my life. I have past disappointment, but I don't want to be anchored to that. Because, see, when you're anchored, what what does it mean if I'm anchored to past pain or past disappointment? It influences how I live and how I think. It influences how I look at at life. I want you to think about this for a minute. Most of us in the room here um, live through 9-11. All right? Kara, where were you when 9-11 happened? You, you watched it on TV? You were at home? Yeah. OK. So you were at home. All right. Uh, Dave, where were you when 9 11 happened? You were at work. Did you watch it? Did you Not at work? Not at work? No, OK. So but you, but you were aware of what was going on. People were talking about what was going on, all right? Now you've had that experience. Now I'm going to guess that the girls probably weren't alive when or if they were alive. Were you guys around at 9 /11? That had been in the year 2000, right? Huh? 20 years ago. No, you weren't around, okay? Kiana, are you old enough to? Okay, so now, did it influence, did it do something to us gone, having gone through that experience? It absolutely did. It absolutely did. But now we have a whole generation who hasn't been through that experience, so it's not an anchor to their lives, it doesn't influence how they look at things, how they think about things. Now, I don't know, it, uh, when did Pearl, Pearl Harbor happened? December 6, 19. Any history buffs? Were you, do, you, do you remember Pearl Harbor as a kid? No. How about when Martin Luther King was shot? How about when uh, JFK was shot and killed? 41 was Pearl Harbor. Okay, so did it influence people's thinking? Yeah, for a generation, it influenced people. But now we have other generations that that's not an anchor of their life. Depression, the Depression, 1932, right? Okay, so depression hits, and the economy's in the toilet, and things are really bad. And then on top of that, as the economy's starting to turn, you know, they're starting to get things straightened out in 1932. Anybody know what happened in 1934? Terrible drought hit the United States. I mean, global warming hit the United States. And I mean, it wiped out crops. It wiped out farmers. It, it, the Dust Bowl happened. People, And it, it devastated. So here's how people, because they were anchored to that, do you know how they started to live? People started hoarding. And if you deal with people that are still alive, that lived during, my aunt, my aunt and my grandmother, they were raised, my aunt was raised during the uh, Depression, and uh, she's in heaven now, but, and my grandmother, of course, lived through the Depression and tried to raise her kids during the Depression. So how did, how did they live? They always expected that there would be a day we would not be able to get what we want. So you know what they did? They hoarded. I went down to my grandmother's basement one time, down by her laundry area, and I said, Grandma, why do you have five bottles of Tide? She says, well, you just never know if you'll be able to get it. Now, because of COVID, people now are starting to think that way about how they buy meat, how they buy toilet paper, right? And we've seen that happen. So they're anchored to it. The fear, and look, really, there isn't anything to be afraid of because we're going to have toilet paper. Look, you can go out and get leaves if you need to, okay? But you got, there's toilet paper available. You've got meat that is available. There's not, there is not a shortage of meat. In fact, you know that, I mean, because we butcher animals, you know that at the butcher, you can't get butcher dates because so many people are butchering animals. So there's meat out there. There's meat all over the place. There's meat flying everywhere. But what's happening is, is that people being anchored to what's happened with COVID or the Depression, or 9-11, or, you know, Pearl Harbor, all those different things, it influences how they live their life. What you are anchored to influences how you live. What you are anchored to influences how you live. So, you know, my, my, uh, my aunt and my grandmother, God bless them, my grandmother especially, because she was under FDR, she was incredibly anchored to her Social Security. I mean, she was convinced that Ronald Reagan was going to take her Social Security away from her. I mean, she hated Reagan because of that, because he's going to take... She cried. I remember her crying. You see, she was so tied to that, that I have to have Social Security to be able to live. I can't live without Social Security. And so that grooming idea is tied to something that happened back during, you know, that was all brought in to try to help people that just so people had an income when they got older and you pay into it and help with the whole thing. It's a little bit different now, but, but, you know, that mentality, you become anchored to it and you think that's the only way I'm going to make it. I got to have it. Well, what about my God meets all of our needs according to its riches and glory by Christ Jesus? And we have no guarantees that our government's gonna do a good job to keep Social Security alive. So you better get your faith on something else. I mean, it's great that you get it and get it. You know, I think they're doing a big raise here pretty quick, you know, what they would consider a big raise, I guess, but, you know, cost of living type deal. But the thing is, is that going back to, they don't even have that money. They're trying to spend money they don't have already. And so that eventually things could happen. We don't want to be anchored to it. You don't want to be anchored to the government. You don't want to be anchored to the economy. You don't want to be anchored to all of these things that are going on around you. You want to be anchored to the holy place, to the person that's sitting on the throne who says, I'm God, I have the ability to help you. I will get you through this. You can overcome this. The Israelites, when they went into the wilderness, became anchored to the wilderness. When they came out of Egypt, they were anchored to Egypt. They were anchored to it. Listen to this statement they, they, they said to, Abraham, to, uh, excuse me, to Moses. Why is the Lord, this is Numbers 14.3, Why has the Lord brought us to the land to fall by the sword that our wives and children should become victims? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, Let us select a leader and return to Egypt. In the wilderness, they made this statement. And the people spoke in Numbers 21.5 against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There's no food, no water, and our soul loathes this worthless bread. Why is this a problem? Because they're anchored to something other than God. They're anchored to their problem. They're anchored to the circumstance of their life. Nobody's in denial that those things were happening. But we have a strong anchor in the Lord, in the presence of the Lord, that we can lean on and go back to. Even the sick man that was by the, uh, the gate or the, by the pool, Bethesda, you know, it was interesting because Jesus said, would you be healed? And what was his first response? Sir, I have no one. That isn't what he asked him, right? But what was he doing? His healing was anchored to the pool, right? That's what he was thinking. The only way I'm ever going to get healed is if I get in the pool. I never get in, I'll never get healed. Jesus said, look, would you be well? And he said, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water stirred up, but while I am coming, another steps down before me. So what did the Lord have to do? The Lord had to intervene in that situation to show him that, look, you don't need the pool. If you believe that God is the healer, that God does the miracles, or he believed the angels were stirring the pool, then look, God can do this right here where you're at right now. The immutability of who God is, is that he doesn't lie and he doesn't change. He doesn't lie and he doesn't change. Hope is our anchor. Love is the line that runs out to us from the holy place. But faith is our grip to hold on. I want you to think about that for a minute. Hope is the anchor. That's what's in the holy place. That's what's that's your nail in the hole. That's your place with God. Hope. Love is the line that runs deep out of that holy place to you and I, where God is extending His love to us. And faith is the grip that we have to hold on to that love. If you look at Galatians five six, it says that um, th- that faith works by love. It's the love that we have, the love that God has had for us, that makes our faith work. That we know that. We're not coming to God to get love. We come from a pace, place of love, excuse me, that God loves us. And so as Hosea eleven four 4 says, which I think is so cool, I drew them with gentle cords, with bands of love, and I was to them as those who take the yoke for their neck, and I stooped and I fed them. That God draws us to himself. As it says in 1 John 4, 7, Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so we are in this world. And then that last one that I said, but it is faith working through love. Does that make any difference to your faith? That you know that when God said something for you, that he said, I'm going to swear by myself that that's what I'm going to do, if you'll believe me, if you'll believe me. You know, this really, when we, uh, when we put ourselves in that place, this is almost like an all-in for us because You know, that we're just like, now I got to be really committed because I'm saying not only did God say it, but I believe God doesn't lie. So what am I going to do? What if, and you know, of course, in the back of your mind, but what if it doesn't happen? What if it doesn't happen for me? What if that doesn't take place? Well, see, those are the doubts you got to work out of your life. You got to figure out why do you even ask that question? What if it doesn't happen? I'm going to tell you why you ask yourself that question, because you know someone it didn't happen for or you're remembering something that didn't happen for you before, and now you're anchored to that more than you are to what God has said. Let's all stand up. Father, we. Um... <laughs> Lord, we are grateful that you are invested so deeply into our welfare, Lord God, that you have said in your word that you swear by yourself. You say it, and then you swear by yourself. Your immutability, Lord God, is amazing. Lord, may we tonight, as we stand in faith and as we believe um, for your mighty working hand, Lord God. Lord, may we stand on the immutability of who you are, not the immutability of who we are, but your immutability. Lord, that when we declare your word, we're not swearing by ourselves, We're speaking what you have said and swore by yourself. Father God, I thank you that faith increases in an environment of immutability because we know, Lord God, that you are 100% committed to what you have said. May we live that out in our lives and everything we do and everything that we put our hands to. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen.